yummy bird seed. I got all spread out there, all ready to eat here. Wow, look at that. See, I could play a game with these the way I've got it. Why not? One of these things, things is not like the other. other. Come on. Which one is different? Can you know? Can you tell which one is not like the other? I'll tell you if it is so. All right. Which of these things doesn't belong? Where is that from? Right on. This takes us back to our preschool days. And the importance and sometimes even the necessity of learning what doesn't belong. But as we grow, it's often not so cut and dry what doesn't belong, right? So take a look at this grown-up version of the Sesame Street song game. One of these things is not like the others. Which one is different? Do you know? Tell me which thing is not like the others, and I'll tell you if it is so. Any guesses? Three of these men are investment bankers working exclusively with blue chip portfolios. But this guy is an investment banker working in the resources sector. Who knew, right? Often we cannot tell what doesn't belong even at the end of the song, and maybe we don't even care to. Yet there are times when knowing what doesn't belong can be important, even necessary. For Jesus' disciples, their belief and hope was that the arrival of the kingdom of God would bring an immediate elimination of what doesn't belong. Oppressed people made up Jesus' audience, Jews subjected to Roman rule and even a corrupt religious system. Jesus' hearers hoped, they believed, the arrival of God's kingdom would bring swift judgment to those oppressors, immediate elimination of any opposition to the perfect and powerful reign of God they had been waiting for. For those hearing from Jesus that the kingdom has come, there was a troubling revelation. The mystery of his kingdom, the continuing presence of evil in the world. Likely the most difficult mystery of the kingdom of God then and now is God's delay in judgment. If his kingdom has come, why is evil still being done? Right? Do you have that question? If his kingdom has come, why is evil still being done? It is no wonder that in Jesus' parables recorded in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares confused the disciples the most causing them to ask for an explanation. And I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful they did. If you're like me, you too wonder, if his kingdom has come, why is evil still being done? And if you're like me, you're even more grateful that Jesus generously, gladly gives his followers then and now knowledge into this mystery of the kingdom. Recorded in Matthew 13, 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? 
how then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skipping down to verse 36, then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds and the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, she who has ears, let him hear, let her hear. Father... We praise you and thank you that you sent your son to reveal mysteries hidden. We thank you for the opening of eyes and ears and for the promise that to whom it has been given, more will be given unto abundance. And we pray that your spirit would give us more understanding unto abundance for your glory and our joy. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So for Jesus' hearers, then and now, Jesus reveals what this kingdom has come, what this kingdom that has come is, what it is not, and why what the kingdom is and is not are both necessary to bring about what the kingdom will be. Okay, I'll do it again. Jesus reveals here in this parable, the wheat and the tares, what this kingdom that has come is, what it is not, and why what the kingdom is and is not are both necessary to bring about what the kingdom will be. So we're going to unpack that. Beginning with what is. What is the kingdom? It is a kingdom come. It is a kingdom come when the king decides. In Jesus' parable, the master of the house is Jesus himself. In his explanation of the parable, Jesus identifies the master of the house as the son of man, Arguably his favorite title for himself, a common reference to himself as the son of man. It references back, and Jesus' original audience would have known this, it references back to a prophecy foretold 700 years before Jesus' birth, recorded in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Daniel records a vision God gave him of the coming of his promised kingdom, and one like the son of man, its king. So Jesus is essentially saying to his listeners, to his disciples, I am the one God revealed to Daniel. I was the one in that vision, bringing a kingdom that will call this kingdom, this world into question. So it's a kingdom come when the king decides and it's a kingdom come where he decides. In Jesus' parable, the seeds are planted in the master's field. 
Later, that's identified as the world in Jesus' interpretation. And this has led some biblical scholars to believe the field is the church, where others argue, no, it is the world. To the extent that we argue (laughs) over what is not certain, we miss what is. Jesus has come to do a new thing. The king has come to plant God's kingdom that will bear fruit, that will bring about a harvest. And this kingdom will not come unopposed. God's enemy, cowardly, meanly, and for no purpose other than sadistic cruelty, plants his seeds side by side, God's good seed. Weeds that look so much like wheat, even the servants of God cannot tell them apart at first. And then Jesus in the parable identifies this enemy as the, as the evil one, the devil. Again, Jesus' hearers would have known that Jesus was going back to the beginning of time, back to the garden. Going back to the garden, God has an enemy that has no other agenda than to vandalize this world in order to discredit its creator, to vandalize God's creatures in order to discredit their creator. Simply put, he is bent on making God look bad. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, again, this is the evil one, the devil, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Undermining God's credibility, undermining God's honor, calling God a liar saying God isn't good. The devil successfully attacked God's glory, God's goodness, and his love. So successful, evil was now brought into the world. And the devil isn't done. God's enemy plants his seeds to live side by side gods to the same end, to discredit God's credibility, his honor, He successfully attacks God's good seed by planting his seed side by side. Sisters, we live side by side with those who hold worldviews that cause us to question what we believe with the agenda, knowingly or unknowingly, of making Jesus look bad to rob him of his glory. You and I live side by side by God's intent with those who hold worldviews that cause us to question what we believe all day today. You had people around you who said and did things that caused you to question God's goodness. Whether they knew it or they didn't, they have an agenda of making Jesus look bad, of robbing him of his glory 
to our own destruction. What we must not miss, though, is that Satan cannot uproot wheat, so he plants weeds. He cannot uproot wheat, so he plants weeds. The arrival of God's kingdom and the coming of Jesus set into motion the promised defeat of this enemy, that we see that promise in Genesis 3.15. When that happens and how, God decides. And how does he decide? Weeds among wheat. We would never guess this. Sons of evil with sons of the kingdom. In Jesus' parable and his explanation, Jesus pushes into what may be the disciples' own doubts of his goodness, their doubts about this kingdom, about God's wisdom and his love. Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. It's interesting to notice that the servants cannot imagine foul play, not to God, not to the master. Who would ever do this? The master must have planted bad seed. He must have made a mistake. Jesus has to give his hearers the big picture. Not happenstance, but deliberate. Not the master's doing, it's an enemy. To defend their master's reputation, they want to pull weeds. This might be the first time a group of boys offer to pull weeds, right? So to defend their master's reputation, they want to get out there and yank those weeds out. And don't we sympathize? Have you ever wanted to defend God's reputation? We wrestled with this in our leader meeting, and I've had texts and calls from many of you struggling to defend God this week as we studied Matthew 13. We are troubled in what we learn in Matthew 13 by these two seemingly contradictory truths concerning God's reign and rule over the hearts of men. People are saved, hard hearts, soft hearts, winter eyes opened, winter eyes not opened. Eyes opened and hearts softened are a work of God alone. We see that in Matthew 13. Only God can bring about repentance. Yet we also see in our study from other passages in Ezekiel and Peter and Timothy that God wishes that all come to repentance. We think we have to solve this mystery somehow. We've got to figure it out. It has to be one way or the other. Either he's totally in control and unfeeling about those who are hard, or he cares about everybody, but, but he just doesn't have any power. He's powerless, and he's wringing his hands. We think that by solving this mystery, we are somehow protecting God's reputation, but are we not harming it? One extreme, again, he is powerful but not loving. The other extreme, he's loving but not powerful. But if these two seemingly contradictory truths both exist, then and then alone is God both all-loving and all-powerful and all-wise. Too wise to figure out, and therefore he is God. Remember what we shared last week from D.A. Carson, that these mysteries are not to be solved about human responsibility and God's sovereignty, but they are a framework to be explored. And so for those of you that have been wrestling with it this week, oh, that must please the master's heart because you want to understand it. Explore it, but resist solving it. Not a mystery to be solved, a framework to be explored. Jesus says, no, let both grow together. We don't know if this is because roots tangled 
And so it will harm those early roots or that the difference isn't as clear as the servants think. But we know for the good of the wheat, the weeds are not to be pulled. Here Jesus uncovers that his kingdom come means their will is not done. What the kingdom isn't, our will is not done. And why the king decides and we don't, because we're not able. Jesus says, less gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat with them. Jesus has to give his disciples the bigger picture. Removing the weeds will risk rooting up the wheat. And there we find God's wisdom and love and power. Removing the weeds will risk rooting up the wheat. Separation can happen too soon. It can happen too early. We don't have the big picture. We don't know what is and we don't know what isn't. Only the Son of Man can see the hearts of men and women Only he knows weeds from wheat, barren trees from fruitful trees. Matthew 7, 1, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. We are challenged, we are exhorted, judge not that you be not judged. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God not Patty. Opposition is going to be wiped out, sisters, but not on our timetable, not our way, and not by us. Our will be done, we would pull now, not according to what the Son of Man sees, but what we see. There is so much we have determined is and isn't that has nothing to do with Scripture. We would pull, not as the Son of Man sees, but as we see, not as he judges, but as we judge. Our will be done, guess what? We'd have to pull ourselves. You don't meet your standards. You woke up this morning with a whole standard of what it means to be righteous, what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a Christian. And if you're like me, you violated it before your foot hit the floor. We have standards for others that we break. We cannot meet the standards by which we judge others, much less God's. Sisters, if our will is done, there are only weeds in the field. There is no wheat. Because apart from God, there's no wheat. Mercifully, the kingdom come means my will is not done. The kingdom come means his is. God sent his own son to live side by side with us and set aside his heavenly glory take on flesh, to live side by side with us, to live the life others fail to live that we judge, and guess what? To live the life that we don't live. He evidenced the reign and rule of God, the nature of God's kingdom through his words, through his works, what he did, what he said, how he loved, how he forgave. The kingdom of God broke into earth. The opposition to his coming grows so fierce, it grew murderous. Jesus' enemies ensured Jesus experienced the cruelest of deaths. They vandalized the Son of God to discredit the Father. Jesus was beaten, he was mocked, he was falsely tried, and he was nailed to a cross, as was foretold to the prophet Isaiah. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Also foretold, evil did not derail, but instead fulfilled the plan of God. When evil thought it had triumphed the most and discredited the father, the father was going to be being glorified in a way no one would have ever imagined. Tim Keller says on the cross, when Jesus was cut off from God, he went into the deepest pit and most powerful furnace beyond all imagining. He experienced the full wrath of the Father, and he did it voluntarily for us. Jesus suffered infinitely more than any human soul in eternal hell, yet he looks at us and says, it was worth it. That is the glory of our God. The glory of our God in fulfilling his plan to destroy evil without destroying us was to sacrifice his own son in our place. As Jesus said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Speaking of the cross, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is why he came. Oswald Chambers says, everything the devil does, God overreaches to serve his purpose, and nothing is like the cross and the resurrection. Jesus faced the fiery furnace of God's wrath to rise again, and so bring about an eternal, everlasting kingdom of God foretold in that book of Daniel. Daniel 7, 13 to 14, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is the resurrected Christ. And to whom, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This kingdom has come, but it has not yet been fulfilled. And so there remains opposition Mercifully, the kingdom's fulfillment involves a delay. Mercifully, God is restraining himself. Its fulfillment will be when he decides. Why? Because for now, some appear to be weeds that are not. Like me. I was one who opposed the kingdom, vandalized other Christians, mocked, ridiculed, lied about them. I look like a weed. And to the surprise of everyone, especially me, it turns out I'm a wheat. 
And so I find great comfort in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is my testimony. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. And such were you, Patty. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. I have all too often mistaken a weed a wheat for an immature, a weed for an immature wheat, thinking someone was a weed when truly they were just an immature wheat. Where I was given patience, I have condemned. And like the good seed who revealed the kingdom to me, though I mocked her and ridiculed her day after day, I pray that someday I will be known not for pointing my fingers at sinners, but for pointing sinners to the Savior. Yes. The kingdom fulfillment is when he decides, for some appear to be weeds that are yet to be revealed as wheat. And also, because you and I, the good seed, are not yet all we will be. I don't seek opposition. I seem to find it a lot, but I don't seek it. It will always be my will to yank it, whether it is a family member who is mocking my beliefs and challenging me on all those crazy mysteries in the scripture. If God's so good, then I will always want to yank it. Yet what I can see looking back is that it has been living for the kingdom opposed, living for a kingdom that is opposed that God has used the most to produce fruit in my life. Those questions have driven me to his word, to find that his word is living, to see his kingdom break in. Be it the hostile opposition of the people I love attacking my faith or the opposition of suffering that comes from living in a broken world, it is these experiences that have tested the reality of God's kingdom and evidence to me it is here beyond a shadow of a doubt. In his kingdom, he does work all things together for good. What is the kingdom? What isn't the kingdom? Are both important, essential for bringing about what will be. And what will be? The king will come. He will return. And then his kingdom will be unopposed. The harvesting son of man and his angels will come and they will ensure that eternal separation at just the right time. And I love that Jesus gives this to us. It is such a comfort and an encouragement and it shows us how powerful and loving and wise our God is. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Why is God restraining himself? Because there are still wheat yet to be revealed as wheat. D.A. Carson says, For the sons of the kingdom's sake, the weeds are preserved, and at the harvest, for their sake, the weeds will be destroyed. When he returns, what is right will be all right. And what is wrong will be all wrong. Look again at Matthew 13, 41 to 43. 
The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. As we'll see next week in some other parables about judgment, there's a lot of picture of weeping and gnashing and fire at this eternal separation. And these are not necessarily intended to be taken literal, but intended to describe a sorrow and suffering beyond imaginable in this life because it will be the absence of God. It will be the absence of everything that is good. Weeds will be shown for who they are when the sun returns, and the wheat will be shown for who Jesus is. Weeds will be shown for who they are, and the wheat will be shown for who Jesus is, shine like the sun. And ladies, I think we're going to be surprised who's wheat and who isn't. But what will be most astounding is the realization at a deeper level than ever before that Jesus faced our fiery furnace to ensure the triumph over everything that is wrong. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Revelation 21, 4 and 27, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And nothing unclean will ever enter into this new kingdom, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the kingdom of our Father, where we will shine like the sun, S-U-N and S-O-N. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Dazzling. His will will be done. For now, we get to coexist. And I couldn't help but think of that bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker. And I'm going to make a confession that I am not proud of. When I see that bumper sticker, I roll my eyes. No more. I will pray for opened eyes. That is God's will. That I coexist with other faiths, other beliefs, other seeds. And rather than determine who should be pulled, pray. Pray. Jesus' parables teach us that God alone can open eyes and ears. This should give us peace, but it should not keep us from pleading. Yes, we can have peace that God is in control. Yes, we can have peace that it's not up to us. We don't get anyone into heaven and we don't keep anyone out. But that should never keep us from pleading on their behalf to God and on God's behalf to them. God ordained, Matthew Henry writes, God has ordained it that good and bad should be mixed together in this world, that the good may be exercised, the bad left inexcusable, and a difference made between earth and heaven. Sisters, you're good seed. You're a work of the master. You, me, here, now, in this place, and in this time, we have this incredible calling 
of bringing his kingdom, calling this world's kingdom into question. So for now, what is his kingdom is bringing about a new thing, not just in spite of opposition, but through that opposition, be it from the world or the church. We're going to need patience and perseverance and protection that God provides through one another. I need you and you need me. We need our fruit-bearing sisters. This morning, my phone was dinging, ding, 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 ding. And Jeff's like, what is going on? I said, it's Thursday. And you know who you are. Some of you are in this room and you send me prayers because you know the opposition is great. You're not praying for me. You're praying for us. You are part of God's provision of patience, perseverance, and protection for one another. Yes, we will need to seek purity in the church. That is the command of God's word. But this should be through humble confrontation. This should be through our own confession of sin. And this should be without judging who's a weed and who's a wheat. That's what is. What isn't? God's final judgment has not come, and so we dare not do it ourselves. I was wrecked by this reality. Walking on the earth, Jesus offered his betrayer Judas bread, the first bread at that last dinner, the seat of honor. Those who falsely accused Jesus and sent him to a cross, he asked the Father to forgive May we never justify taking the role of judge and avenger. No way may we remember the words of C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What is, what isn't, for what will be. God's final judgment is coming. And the things that don't belong will not belong. Until he returns, if we are his, we are his good seed. Planted here, planted now to reveal the difference between his kingdom and this one. And through our lives, calling this kingdom of the world into question. Unto salvation for some. Oh, Father, as we now go to our groups and continue to unravel, let you unravel the mysteries of your kingdom, may we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to respond. That we might be part of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. lights on.